Now, our Bible reading this morning is continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 20 and verses 29 to 34. And Stephen's going to read that for us today. Two blind men received the sight. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning, please do turn back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. And verses 29 to 34. Now over the past few months we've been studying Matthew's Gospel on the run-up to Easter. We actually started this series a couple of years ago, uh, starting in Matthew chapter 8. And uh, we have been dipping out in and out of this. We haven't been doing that continuously. I hope you've noticed that. Um, But we've been dipping in and out uh, over these past two years. Now, the aim, of course, of reading any gospel is to answer the question, who is Jesus? When you start Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, your question should be, and the question that the gospel writers are asking is, who is Jesus? And through Jesus' teaching and his miracles... We see it revealed who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the very Son of God. And so in many ways, as we've been reading through Matthew's Gospel, we have been on a journey of discovery. And these past few weeks, we have seen Jesus making it very clear to the disciples what the nature of the kingdom is. What is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, like? And Jesus has also been making it very clear that he is unlike earthly kings. Yes, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We know that. But he's unlike earthly kings. Because what do earthly kings do? Well, generally speaking, they lord it over their subjects, don't they? what do we see with Jesus? He is the servant king. He's the suffering servant that we find in Isaiah 53. Now, as Jesus has been speaking about the nature of the kingdom, and very much we've been seeing that Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is an upside-down kingdom. Remember the repeated refrain, the first will be last and the last will be first. Now, when the world thinks of those things and the world is pushing itself forward saying, I want to be first, I want to be first, I want to be first, what's the church saying? Well, the church ought to be saying, well, the first are going to be last and the last will be first. 
were to show something completely different. Now, as we've been looking at this part of Matthew's gospel, all about the kingdom, we clearly see that the disciples have struggled to grasp this, haven't they? When Jesus has been speaking about, you know, serving and speaking about being last, they have really struggled to grasp that, haven't they? They want the places of honor. We saw that last week with James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples. But they haven't understood that the kingdom is about suffering, it's about pain, it's about servanthood. Now, for a couple of chapters now, we have seen that Jesus has been going towards Jerusalem. He knows that his time is coming. Time in the Gospels is really important. There are times it says in the Gospels that Jesus realized his time wasn't yet come or hasn't yet come. But now Jesus' time is come and he's making his way towards Jerusalem. And as we saw last week, Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to him. Sometimes we have the impression, I referred to this last week, you know, that Jesus didn't have an idea what was going to happen to him. And that, you know, this was God making the best of a bad lot. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be handed over, that he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be flogged and suffer and crucified, and on the third day, rise again. Jesus knew all this before it happened. He knows. He knows his time is coming. And God willing, we'll think about the triumphal entry at our service next week on Palm Sunday. But where does that leave us this morning? Well, squeezed in between Jesus' teaching of the, of the nature of the kingdom and Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, there's one last miracle. And that's the miracle that we read of today. And what we have today is the last recorded miracle that Jesus does before he goes to the cross. Now, as well as thinking about the miracle itself today, it's also worth having a think, why is this miracle here? We've had all this teaching about the kingdom. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. He's about to go to the cross. Why is there this miracle that happens here? Well, one of the puzzles that we have perhaps been thinking about over the past few weeks is why the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying about the nature of the kingdom. That's a bit of a puzzle, isn't it? Because when you read through the gospel, you think, how did the disciples not get this? Why do they keep coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, can I sit on your right and your left when your kingdom comes in glory? Why were they constantly bickering with each other about which one of them was the best? Why didn't the disciples understand what was going to happen to Jesus? Especially when Jesus seems to speak so clearly about it. Now part of the reason for that would probably be that the disciples were living in the moment. Whereas we have the benefit, don't we? We've got our Bible before us. 
We know from Genesis all the way through to Malachi, and then we're able to read the Gospels, and we're able to read the early church and what the early church thought about it. We've got all these things that are going on. We know the background. We know the story. The disciples didn't have that, did they? But I also wonder here, with the disciples, whether there are hints of spiritual blindness. Do you think that's the case? Is that why they couldn't really grasp the nature of the kingdom? Is that why they couldn't really grasp who Jesus was? You see, remember, on the Emmaus Road after the resurrection, remember there were two disciples walking with Jesus. Did they recognize him? No, they didn't. They just thought, you know, how does this man not know what's happened these days in Jerusalem about how this man was crucified or or how Jesus was crucified and how there's been this story of, of perhaps him rising on the third day. They didn't recognize it was Jesus right beside them. And it was only, remember, as Jesus broke the bread, there was revealed to them who Jesus was. Their eyes were opened. Remember the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus? Remember how he was, he was struck blind as he met with Jesus? But then when Ananias prayed for him, how what fell from his eyes? Scales fell from his eyes. And suddenly he could see. And so I want you to see this morning, no pun intended, is that there's a lot in Scripture about sight and about spiritual sight. And I just wonder if this last recorded miracle is here to give a hint as to what Jesus has come to do. That in his mercy, he's giving sight to the blind that they might see him as he truly is. Because that's the reality, isn't it? You see, before we were a Christian, we maybe thought that Jesus was a good man or a great teacher. But when God truly reveals himself to us, we suddenly see him for who he truly is. We see that he is the Son of God, that he is our Lord, and he is our Savior. I love the story of C.S. Lewis's conversion. We all know C.S. Lewis from the, the stories of Narnia, don't we? C.S. Lewis had been wrestling for a number of months, in fact years, as to whether Christianity was was true. He'd been wrestling with that. And the way he finally explains his conversion is that he was going on a motorcycle to Whipsnade Zoo with his brother. I don't even know where Whipsnade Zoo is. And he describes it this way. When he started the journey, he wasn't a Christian, but by the time he arrived at the zoo, he was a Christian. Why was that? Well, his eyes had been opened. And he believed. You see, the disciples and the crowds have in many ways been blind to who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Yes, there's some understanding. There are little glimpses of that they do understand. Remember when Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. It was then that Jesus started to speak about what was going to happen to him. 
They understand something, but they don't understand it all. Maybe in some ways they're blind. So I wonder if this last miracle is here to teach us something about spiritual blindness and about how Jesus opens our eyes. And if you're here this morning and you don't really know who Jesus is, ask Jesus to open your eyes that you might see him. If you're here this morning and you don't really know the hope that Jesus brings, and you're sitting around people and and they seem to know it, they seem to be really changed, they seem to really be into the worship and the praise, and you think, well, what's that about? Pray that Jesus would open your eyes, open your heart to receive him this morning. Now, as I was preparing for the sermon today, I'm grateful to someone in the congregation who knows who they are. He sent me a wee email uh, with a Lenten reflection from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, which was based on Mark's Gospel's version of what happens here in Matthew's Gospel. And what was highlighted in that reflection was that last week, in the story of James and John, remember James and John coming before Jesus and asking that they could sit at his right and left in glory? Well, in that story, Jesus asks James and John, what can I do for you? Which, of course, is the same question that Jesus asks of the two blind men in this passage. And let's not think that that's a a coincidence You see, last week we we saw James and John were asking a question that was really about their own personal ambition. It was the wrong question to be asking, and it it showed that they didn't really understand the nature of the kingdom. But what do we find today? Well, we have two blind men calling out to Jesus, and they call out in complete dependency. And they say to Jesus, Lord, we want our sight. And Jesus heals them. Now it seems to me that Jesus is again showing that he comes for those who really need him. And who are willing to come and to follow him above all others. So what we need to see first of all this morning is the the big picture here that this story perhaps tells us something of what it truly means to see. That when our eyes are opened, we truly see Jesus for who he is, and we see the nature of the kingdom. We see that James and John asked the wrong question. They were trying to get places of honor. The blind men, they come in complete dependency, and Jesus heals them. And they're able to see. When our eyes are opened, we truly see who Jesus is. And we see the nature of the kingdom. So I want you to see this morning that that is the big picture. But what happens, because often what happens in the Gospels is things are working on two levels, aren't there? That's the big picture of what's happening. What happens if we zoom 
into the story. What's happening here? Well, we know that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And here Jesus leaves Jericho on the last leg of the journey, making the ascent to Jerusalem. And as he goes, we see that there's a large crowd with him. And as they're they're making the journey, and it must have been quite a sight, there's Jesus, there's the disciples, there's this large crowd. As they're making their journey, there are two blind men who are on the side of the road. Now we know from the other Gospels that one of them is named Bartimaeus. And these two blind men, they hear that Jesus is going by. Perhaps they know something about Jesus. Perhaps they know that he is a healer. And as they hear that Jesus is going by, and they hear all these feet going by, they call out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. They have some understanding of Jesus, and they call out to him. Now, as the crowd are going past, they're they're not very impressed, are they? And they simply dismiss them. Be quiet. Be quiet. It's maybe just a wee bit like, do you remember a few weeks ago we, we, we had the disciples stopping people bringing their children to Jesus? Probably because they thought that, you know, don't, don't bother Jesus with children. Children are not worth very much. They're kind of low down the social scale of things. Why bring them? Maybe the crowd didn't think that these blind men were worthy of an audience with Jesus. But the men kept calling out, and indeed called out even louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And and there's a lesson for us right there, isn't there? Because if we have a need, and maybe you've come this morning to worship and you have a need, and we call out to Jesus, he will surely hear us. He doesn't ignore us like the crowds do. And Jesus doesn't ignore these men, does he? He calls them to himself. What do we, what do you want me to do for you? Now, in many ways, you might think that's a really strange question. Why is Jesus asking that question? Is it not obvious, Jesus, what you should be doing for these men? Surely Jesus should know what the request would be. But we have to remember that these men, because they were blind, they weren't able to work. What would these men have been doing? They would have been begging, begging on the streets. Perhaps the kind of mercy that they were after was was money, for example. And so Jesus asked the question to, to test their heart. What is it you want me to do for you? And the men are rewarded. We want our sight, they say to Jesus. And Jesus has compassion on them. Now note here, that's not always stated. When there's a a healing miracle of Jesus, sometimes Jesus just heals them. But note here, it says that Jesus had compassion on them. It's a bit like probably in the rich young man. So we link with the rich young man. But in the other Gospels it says Jesus looked at the rich young man. He looked at him and loved him. Jesus saw these two blind men and he had compassion on them. 
And so it shows that the men really had a need. And Jesus reaches out, touches their eyes, and they receive their sight. And let's not lose sight, pun intended, of the last three words in the passage. And followed him. They were healed and they followed him. They didn't just say, thanks very much, Jesus, and and get on their way. What did they do? They followed Jesus. Now, you can't help but notice the the contrast with the rich young man from, from a few weeks ago, can you? The rich young man who had everything, and yet because of his great wealth, he couldn't let it go and he couldn't follow Jesus. What do these blind men have? They have nothing. Why is that? Because they can't work. They're forced to beg on the streets. They have a dire need. But when Jesus meets that need and they're able to see, what do they do? They don't leave in sadness like the rich young man. What do they do? In their joy, they follow Jesus. Truly, Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. So what we see is that despite Jesus going towards Jerusalem, despite Jesus knowing that his time has come, knowing that he's going to the cross, knowing that this is a big picture, I want you to see also as we zoom in that Jesus still has time to stop and to heal these two blind men. And I want you to notice this morning, if you take nothing else from this sermon this morning, at least take this away with you today. That Jesus always has time. He always has time. Do you ever see Jesus rushed in the Gospels? Do you ever see Jesus harassed in the Gospels? He has time. And that's true for you and it's true for me. That Jesus has time. He has time for you in your need. He's not so busy that he can't be bothered. He isn't like you and I are. You see, you might have excused Jesus for for saying to the blind man, as he's walking along with the crowd, as he's going to Jerusalem, sorry guys, I'm off to do something really important in Jerusalem. I'm going to the cross, maybe some other time. You would excuse him for doing that, wouldn't you? It would kind of be understandable. But does Jesus do that? No, he doesn't. He stops. He shows compassion. And it's an important lesson for us. To never think that Jesus won't stop for us. And there's also an encouragement here to keep calling out to Jesus. You see, the men didn't just call out once, they called out twice. That's an important lesson, isn't it? Let's keep calling out to Jesus. And let's also make sure that we're not like the crowd who try to to shush the blind man. You know, you're not worthy. You know, Jesus is really important and you're not very important. Let's not be like the crowd, trying to shush the blind man, thinking they're not worthy of coming to Jesus. We can be guilty of that, can't we? 
saying to people, don't bother coming to Jesus. He won't hear you. You aren't important enough. Your background's too bad. Whereas, what do we find? And we found this all throughout Matthew's gospel. That Jesus has come to seek and save that which is lost. To save the unlikely. To bring blessing and to bring healing. Is that not the wonderful thing that we find in the Gospels? What we also realize, I've been looking at the nature of the kingdom this morning, or the last few weeks and this morning, that we see the link with Isaiah. You see, in Isaiah 35, we see that what happens here in Matthew 20 is exactly a sign of the kingdom that God had always said was going to be brought in. It says this in Isaiah 35, Strengthen the feeble knees, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. That's a reference to the cross. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. And later in the same passage it says this. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You see, what I want you to see this morning, as we've been thinking about over the past few weeks, few months, indeed the last two years, the King has come. He has come to heal. He's come to bring ultimate healing. He's come to open your eyes. Are your eyes opened this morning? Or do you recognize as you sit here today that your eyes, well, they're shut. You're blind. You're spiritually blind. Call out to Jesus. Ask him to open your eyes because he surely will hear you. The king has come. And as it says in that passage in Isaiah, they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Now, that's a reference to Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry. Because what happens? People sing the praises of God. They come to welcome their king. Will you welcome that king today? Will you put your faith and trust in him? And next week on Palm Sunday, will you sing the praises of God? Will you shout Hosanna? Will you know that joy inside? Because the King, the King of glory, has come. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this day, and we recognize that this passage today is probably working in two levels. 
that in many ways it's speaking about blindness. And not physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. Because we have seen how the disciples have often been spiritually blind. How the crowds have been spiritually blind. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, have been spiritually blind. That they haven't truly understood who Jesus is. And although Jesus has been very clear about what he has come to do and what's going to happen to him, that they simply cannot grasp it. But Father, we thank you for this miracle, perhaps a sign and a symbol, that when Jesus dies on the cross and then is raised to life, that when the disciples are together, And Jesus appears to them and breathes on them the Holy Spirit that it's almost as if their eyes are opened and they suddenly have understanding that the kingdom has been brought in, that it's not an earthly kingdom, it's a heavenly kingdom and that Jesus is the servant king and yet he's also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see this morning, that we would see Jesus for who he truly is, and that we would put our faith and trust in him. Lord God, take away the blindness, we pray. And Father, we also want to give you thanks that as we zoom into this story, that we see Jesus caring for these two blind men. That though the crowd didn't think these two men were up to very much, that Jesus heard their cries. He knew their desire to see, and he healed them. Father, perhaps we come to worship this morning, and maybe we come and we are concerned about our life, And maybe we don't really feel that we can come and bring our our needs before you because we think you're too busy, that you're too busy with all that's happening in the world. But Lord God, we thank you that you're never rushed, that you're never harassed, but you're able to meet with us in our time of need when we call out to you. And we thank you so much, Lord God, that when these blind men received their sight, that they didn't just go and go their own way. They didn't just go back to their families as we might have expected them to do. But when they received their sight, they followed Jesus. Father, when we receive our spiritual sight, help us to follow you, to put our faith and trust in you and to follow you all the days of our life to your glory. So, Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word this day, we pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.